Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us today again on the program. And uh, I, I trust you have been tuning in again every week and uh, sharing with your friends about us. I, I really appreciate the word of mouth references as people are starting to talk and uh, share our programs on Facebook and different things like that. I, I'm really excited because we've literally heard from around the globe from the program through the ITBN and through the internet uh, as well as the television broadcast as it broadcast in some countries. We've heard from the Ukraine and from Russia and from the Netherlands and from Nova Scotia and from uh, all over the islands of the sea, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Brazil, literally around uh, the globe of people who are tuning in to hear the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace. Uh, we're forever grateful to you guys that have helped us in taking the gospel around the world and uh, uh, your words of encouragement. Let me say to you that if you've missed some of the programs, we have been teaching this for weeks now, out of the book of Revelation, had probably had the best response of anything we've ever taught because I believe that this really is a next piece to help us understand the grace of God. The book of Revelation is to many people a real great mystery. But uh, truly, uh, the, the word revelation means to unveil or to reveal. Literally, it is the Greek word apocalypse to uncover what has been veiled over. Uh, I really believe it's about unveiling Christ, first of all, who is when you get a revelation of Jesus Christ to you, it will always produce a revelation of Jesus Christ through you. And when we hear the word apocalypse or apocalypse, however you want to pronounce it, we let Hollywood define that for us, and uh, we think about bombs bursting in air and world events and catastrophes, but really the word apocalypse means to uncover uh, or, what, or to pull back the veil. Uh, the very main thrust of what we've been sharing is that when Moses is read, there's a veil put over your face so that you can't see the end of what's abolished. Now, uh, that unveiling, in other words, these churches in Revelation, that were really seven churches that were really in Asia during the first century were really trying to make a transition from an old covenant mindset to a new covenant mindset. So the veil is literally being taken away. And when the veil is taken away, we know what it unveils and what it uncovers is it uncovers Christ. And when it uncovers Christ to you, it uncovers a revelation of Jesus through you. Because the mystery which has been hid from ages is Christ in you the hope of glory. We trust that as you tune into these programs, that veil is being taken away in Christ so that you can clearly see with an unveiled face, not the misery and agony of the Lord, but the glory of the Lord. That's what Corinthians says, the glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's what we're after as we continue to dig around in this book is that uh, the relevance to the first century church of repentance, changing the way you think, is what's going to give you access to a new covenant mindset. It's interesting to me, the fourth chapter of Revelation literally ends by saying, uh, or not ends, it begins by saying, after this I looked and the door was open in heaven, and I saw a throne, and one sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, and sight like unto an emerald. 
And so it literally is a vision of a throne with a king seated on it and a rainbow, which is a symbol of the covenant. The rainbow God gave clear back to Noah in the book of Genesis that said, I will never again smite the earth uh, in this fashion again, but I'm going to set my bow in the cloud to show you that I have put, literally pulled the string off of my bow and that there's no error to be shot, that I will never be angry with you again. I think it's powerful that you could look in the book of Isaiah and the 54th chapter of Isaiah. God will say this, For this is as the waters of Noah to me. I will never be angry or will be wroth with you again. That was God's promise. And he begins to talk about in that context of Isaiah 54, a new covenant I'm going to make with you. Uh, the, I think it is interesting that Isaiah 54, not interesting, is powerfully their own purpose is right on the heels of Isaiah 53. It says, For he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement, so I can have peace, was laid on him by whose stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone everyone into our own path, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then he'll start at 54 and say, For this is as the waters of Noah to me. What's he saying? The death of Christ, the finished work of the cross, his suffering, His passion, His redemptive work of Calvary, God said, I view that like I viewed the waters of Noah. I will never be angry with you, nor will I be wroth with you again, because your judgment was already fully met in the person and work of Jesus Christ if you are a believer. And that is a powerful concept because this whole church at Laodicea, once again, the word Laodicea itself means uh, literally to the justice of the people. It comes from the root word in Thayer's Greek lexicon, meaning to deal with a suit at law, a judicial hearing, or a judicial decision or sentence. It also infers a condemnation or execution or the sentence or punishment. And uh, we shared with you in the last segment how uh, Jesus literally took every uh, sentence of death, every sentence of the curse, everything uh, that you had ever done that was had an impending overhanging judgment coming, He took that on Calvary's tree for you and as you. I'm telling you, if that don't jerk a praise up out of you, nothing will. I'm telling you, it makes me want to just worship God because He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity and my judgment as a believer is not in my future. My judgment is in my past. Now, I want to come back again and deal with some more things literally at this church at Laodicea. So I'm going to read the text again. Verse 14, chapter 3, book of Revelation. It says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I, I, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have no need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art rich and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear, and to anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door, I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me, and to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want to begin to emphasize a little bit in this segment. We've already dealt with the fact that he was the Amen. He was the faithful and true witness. Now he's the beginning 
of the creation of God. And I, one of the things that I want to say is that I believe that where we need to have a massive shift in our thinking, especially uh, not only to this first century church, this is where they were shifting. They were moving from an old covenant paradigm again to a new covenant paradigm. Now let me say, say this to you. The old covenant was written to the old man to get him to behave. The new covenant is given to the new man not to modify his behavior, but to develop and mature his new nature. In the new covenant, we are partakers of a divine nature. As a matter of fact, when he says later on to this church, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. The gold is a symbol throughout the scripture of divine nature or that which carries the glory. Matter of fact, in the tabernacle of Moses, in the third dimension of the most holy place, literally where you see the mercy seat. And I'm going to get into this some as we continue to teach this, but I believe that's what the door is open to in the fourth chapter is it's open to the third room or the third dimension, not the outer court, not the holy place, but to the most holy place. It was overlaid in pure gold. So when he says, I counsel to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment. He's talking about the raiment that you are clothed in is a righteousness of God that is a gift in the new covenant. That you are not uh, righteous on the basis of your performance. You're righteous on the basis of who you're in. Uh, he that knew no sin was made to be sin for us. He who did absolutely nothing wrong was made sin so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So when he's talking about the gold and he's talking about the raiment, he's talking about putting the robe of righteousness on. He's talking about putting this uh, robe that is absolutely a gift. It is the white, the fine linen, the white, clean, fine linen of the righteousness of the saints. One of the key things that we've emphasized over the years we've been on television has been that this righteousness in the new covenant is not on the basis of your performance. It is on the basis of a gift of God. Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus, which again shows me the throne. We reign, we literally sit with Him in His throne according to this promise to the church at Laodicea. We sit with Him in the place of rulership, ruling and reigning, not just when we get to heaven someday, but we reign in life because there's favor on us, because of the robe of righteousness that's on us. We now have access to all the promises of God. One of the things that I do want to emphasize is that He was the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, in the new covenant, once again, we are not trying to modify the behavior of an old man Man. We are trying to develop and mature a new man. I want to look at something uh, with that thought in Romans, the sixth chapter. Uh, and, and I want to look at this. I think I'm going to look at it in the, in the Message Bible because it makes it so powerfully plain. Uh, Romans, the fifth chapter, says it like this. Let me, let me just back up a little bit. Romans 5, uh, let me see, about verse number uh, 15 through 17 says, yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison with that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence, and the verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. 
If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, and those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right, this God making us righteous that the one man, Jesus Christ, provided. Here it is, in a, I love this, how this verse is, verse 18, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, but another man did it right and got us out of it. Now most people are just happy to not be in trouble anymore. But I want to tell you, he doesn't just leave you with not being in trouble. He says, more than, but more than just get us out of trouble, watch this, he got us into a life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, and one man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. But that's where most people stop. Watch this, though. Let's go to the sixth chapter. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. You have entered grace land, and Adam has left the building. That's powerful, man. That is awesome. When you went down into the waters of baptism, it was literally a burial to your old creation man. When Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, when he says he's the beginning of the creation of God, it's so powerful. I mean, you could take that back to Genesis and, and, and the Gospel of John where it said, you know, uh, in, in, you know, all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. So all of the creation came from Him. But I really think it's specific what it's talking about. He's the beginning literally of a new species, a new race, a royal race, a, a royal generation, a holy nation of people. He's the beginning of the new creation, man. He's the federal head of a brand new species. Glory to God. But when we went down into the waters of baptism, we left the old country where sin is sovereign, and we moved into Graceland, a new life and a new land. That's what happened. What, what, that's what, what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer it sins ever beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. 
but alive he brings God down to us. That makes me want to shout, man. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run, watch this, little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old, that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Don't even run little errands for. See, more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. And I like this part of it too. It says, so since we're out from under that old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Now that's always a common question when people hear grace being preached. Here's so emphatically the answer to that. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, uh, from out from under that old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Here's the answer. Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourself to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose command sets you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you really had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives are healed, and expansive in holiness, as long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of. Where did that get you? A dead end. But now that you've found that you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what to do, surprise, a whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. That's so powerful to me. See, in, the, in this, what he's saying to this church is, here's another paradigm shift. I'm the beginning of the creation of God. I think you've got to ask yourself, as even as a minister, who are you preaching to? Are you preaching to Adam to try to get him to behave? Or are you preaching to the new creation to mature that man? See, what, you know, you've got to decide uh, what, you're, what you're going to do. I can I think of it another way. I, I preached years ago a message out of the book of Genesis where God, uh, the Lord said to me, are you tilling the ground or are you keeping the garden? I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said, if you're keeping the garden, you're simply guarding and keeping what I already planted, what I did. But if you're tilling the ground, you're trying to take the earth and force it through all of your, uh, you're trying to take a cursed earth and, and, and you're trying to make it produce something based on uh, your, your toil and your, your labor and your sweat. But I'd rather preach to the new man. I'd rather keep the garden than I would to till the ground. And I believe that when we begin to preach to the new man and develop and build faith in that man and mature him, he will begin 
to walk in the newness of life. You know, it's amazing to me in the years that I've preached grace, and in all honesty, some of our critics, they, they do have some legitimate beef in the sense that they look at the grace message and say, well, it seems like this gives people a license to sin. Let me first say to you that there's just as much sin in the law camp as there is in the grace camp. It's just that in the grace camp, they don't hide it as much. But the truth of it is, the Scripture tells you that the law is what gives sin strength. It also tells you in Romans 7 that it stirs up in you all manner of concupiscence. Paul said, I was alive once, and then the commandment came, and sin revived, and I died. So there's sin in both camps. Now what I've seen people do is they've changed, because they just got free from the bondage of religion. They traded the bondage of religion, and they thought they were headed for freedom, so they're going to prove how free they are. And they go out and get in bondage in addiction to substance abuse or some other uh, kind of, uh, of, of sin that they might give themselves to, and it becomes their master. So all they've really done is change who their master is. It used to be the taskmaster of religion, now it's the taskmaster of substance abuse or uh, perhaps alcoholism or, or any other kind of addiction. And what it does is it continues to take your life. See, the whole gospel is not just about a ticket to heaven. It's about how to live life in the kingdom right now. And there are some things that are robbing your life right now. But Paul says, since you have moved into grace land and you've left that old land behind, Adam has left the building, don't even run little errands for that old way of life. Because you call that freedom, but you offer yourself to sin, and it's your last free act. You become in bondage to something else. And then I see people coming off of the streets. Uh, we were just at a place in California, uh, man, and they were uh, people that were convicts and criminals and drug dealers and uh, rival gangs and law enforcement all in one building. Rival gangs that were shooting at each other six months ago were standing in the same building worshiping God together as they began to embrace uh, what the Lord was doing in them. And uh, what they began to do, see, is they left the, the bondage of the, the things that some of these folks that have been religion are trying to go back to. And what we've done is we swing over to the other side, and these guys coming in off the street, if we're not careful, we'll take them over to the bondage of religion. See, I'm not interested in, in taking them to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where you got folks that have been on the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, swinging over here and getting on the bad side of it, or the people on the bad side of it swing over to the good on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, the good on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is just as bad as the evil. It's the same tree that God said don't eat. Real freedom comes. When we, don't, when we enter into what God is doing for us and in us rather than what we're doing for God. I, I love, I, love uh, I believe it is the eighth chapter of Romans also uh, in the, in the uh, Amplified, uh, uh, not Amplified, but the Message Bible says, God went for the juggler. This is verse 3. When he sent his own son, he didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition in the, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once for all. The law code, weakened as it was, was fractured by human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being uh, used as a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we could not deliver accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. I think that is so incredible. Instead of redoubling our own efforts, 
and trying harder and turning over a new leaf and making a New Year's resolution, we simply enter into what God is doing in us and let the Spirit of God do the work in us because all that passing laws against sin did was create more lawbreakers. And what Romans 8 said is it was simply a band-aid on sin and not the deep healing of it. I think that, you know, one of these days I'm going to preach that and I'm going to stand somebody up and get a whole roll of duct tape or a whole box of band-aids and start preaching laws and just sticking band-aids all over them. Because that's what we look like in the Spirit. we got band-aids everywhere. Uh, we're stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on us or something. But uh, and then I'm going to just grab a hold of it and rip the Band-Aid off and say, you know what? That's how we are in religion. God is literally ripping the Band-Aid off. That's what happens as we've begun to hear the gospel of grace is the Band-Aid's being ripped off. But the truth of it is God is doing a deep healing of sins. I'm still talking about this church at Laodicea. He says, I'm the beginning of a new creation. Let me read one more uh, text and then I'm going to try to close for this segment. But here's Colossians 3 verse 1. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what God is, is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. To the real you, the glorious you, meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, Doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy, that's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete works like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave-free, meaning nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe. God picked out for you compassion, kindness, humility, quiet, strength, discipline. Put on your new garments. It's designer label stuff. It is you are a new creature in Christ. Live like that from this day on. We're out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Sow a seed into the ministry and help us take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace around the world. Remember, you're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.